When I was pursuing graduate studies in the San Francisco Bay Area, I loved spending time in the Muir Woods, home of the giant redwood trees. These trees would grow up to be up to 300 feet tall. Uh, these majestic trees were just stunning. What was surprising to me was learning that they had shallow roots. They were often just five or six feet deep in terms of their roots. So what enabled these trees to seemingly defy the law of physics and stand erect for hundreds and, in some cases, even thousands of years. Well, redwoods grow in thick groves, and their roots eventually intertwine with each other so that over time, they grow and fuse together as one. So a redwood may begin as an individual, but as it matures and grows, its roots intertwine with other trees' roots, and they become one. And so it is with human beings. We may imagine that we are rugged individuals, but in fact, we are connected to one another as human beings, biologically, intellectually, emotionally, and spiritually. That's the way God designed us. We're currently in a sermon series on what it looks like to live with intentional rhythms of life, or what the monks describe as a rule of life that supports our most life-giving friendship of all, our relationship with God, that enables us to flourish. And in this message, we're going to be looking at how friendships enable us to go deep with God, how they enable us to thrive as human beings, and how to actually form these kinds of relationships. If anyone in history could have lived as a, quote, rugged individual, we might think that it would be Jesus, given his brilliance and his powers. But we see in the Gospels that Jesus made time for and prioritized relationships. For example, we see in John chapter 11 that Jesus was close friends with someone named Lazarus and his sisters, Martha and Mary. In John chapter 15, we see that Jesus' disciples were not just his students, but they had also become his friends. Last week, we observed that famously at the end of his ministry, uh, Jesus knelt and he prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane, seeking to discern whether it was God's will for him to lay down his life on a cross as a sacrifice for our sins. He prayed all night. There was one other all-nighter that Jesus pulled, as far as we know, in prayer. And that was near the beginning of his ministry when he was seeking to determine who to choose as his first disciples, who in turn would become among his closest friends. In Luke 6, 12 to 16, we read these words. One of those days, Jesus went up to a mountainside to pray and spent the night praying to God. When morning came, he called his disciples to him and chose 12 of them, whom he designated apostles. 
Simon, whom he named Peter, his brother Andrew, James, John, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Simon, who was called the Zealot, Judas, son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. Let's take a moment to pray. Living God, we thank you that on that first Christmas, you became one of us, a human being. And as you grew and as you lived, you show us how to live. And so we pray that through the example of you as a human being in Jesus Christ, you would teach us. We pray that your Holy Spirit would guide us. And we pray that your purpose through our friendships would bring you glory and do us good. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. So moments ago, we mentioned that if there was anyone who could have lived perhaps as a rugged individual, given his talents and capacities, we would think perhaps that it was Jesus. But we see that Jesus took time for and made a priority of friendships and relationships. That should not surprise us. Because before Jesus was born, he pre-existed mysteriously as a member of what theologians describe as the triune Godhead or the, quote, Trinity. Jesus pre-existed as God the Son, and he was living from all eternity past in a perfect relationship, in a perfect community with God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. They lived in harmony, in peace, in love, in perfect friendship. And so it shouldn't surprise us surprise us that when God the Son became a human being in Jesus, that he would value relationships and friendships. A mentor of mine says that the more we are in friendships, the more we are like God. The more we are in friendships, the more we reflect the image of a God who is in relationships, and the more we thrive. The question, what is the singular most important predictor of human happiness, is one that has often been asked and one around which a lot of research has been done. So for almost a century now, Harvard University has conducted a research project seeking to answer this question about human happiness and wellness. Back in the 1930s, they took a large group of students, along with a group of people from poorer families in a nearby city, and began tracking them across the decades, giving them questionnaires, in-person interviews, physiological tests, which created literally millions and millions of data points. As the researchers looked at the data, seeking to discover the component that was most important for a human being to be, quote, happy, well, versus sad, sick. What they found, and you probably guessed, that it wasn't money. It wasn't awards that people had accumulated or material possessions. Nor was it prestige, fame, or living in a warm, dry climate. I hope that that makes you happy if you're living in Vancouver. 
The researchers discovered that the number one predictor of being happy-well is relationships. Specifically having, obviously, healthy, not toxic relationships that were mutually supportive and intimate. The research showed that these kinds of relationships amplified people's good times and buoyed them through difficult times. As Francis Bacon famously said, friendship doubles joy and cuts grief in half. An interesting factor that emerged in the study was that the supportive relationship didn't need to be of a particular type. For some people, their supportive, life-giving relationship was with a romantic partner. For others, it was with a best friend or an especially close friend. For others, it was with a member of their extended family, and for others, it was a friend through school or through work. Now, I think most of us here would say, yeah, I think that friendships, relationships are important, but in the busyness of our lives, we can neglect these relationships or take them for granted. The current U.S. Surgeon General, Vivek Murphy, opens his book with these arresting words. During my years caring for patients, the most common condition I saw was not heart disease or diabetes. It was loneliness. It was loneliness. Some of you are in healthcare, and you've seen this, that, that loneliness is the most pervasive condition that, that people have, and it affects our health in all kinds of ways because we are psychosomatic, integrated beings. So how can we foster the kind of relationships that enable us to flourish in our relationship with God as well as with those around us? Well, one of the ways is to commit to a person or to some people because a friend commits. We see that in Jesus' own life, he interacts with about 70 people who are his followers. That group grows to about 120, according to the book of Acts. These are people who are seeking to learn from Jesus and are connecting with Jesus in some way. We also see in the Gospels that, that Jesus had close relationships with his 12 disciples. And among the 12, there were three that he was especially close to, Peter, James, and John. And among those three, there was one he was closest to, John. And according to sociologists, we human beings can interact, have some kind of acquaintance with about 120 to 150 people, and then our, our brain sort of reaches the limit. This is called Dunbar's theory. And we can have reasonably close friendships with between 12 to 15 people, and more intimate relationships with three to five people, and one or two maybe really, really close friends. So we can't commit to everyone in a deep way, but we can commit to one or to some. Some of you have heard Jacob's story. Jacob was a part of 10th Church. And if you were here years ago, you may remember him. Jacob attended here while he was a student in Vancouver and is now living on Vancouver Island. He's given me permission to reshare something that he has shared with me. Here's what Jacob wrote to me. 
In the first year of university, I met Jeremy on a rugged path through campus where we both happened to stop at the same time to investigate an unusual gnarled tree. In short order, our acquaintance grew from horticultural interests to a deep friendship, but our paths later diverged when I chose a carefree bohemian lifestyle while Jeremy maintained his pursuit of Christ. Years later, when I spun into crisis after a friend of mine committed suicide, I reached out to Jeremy. I met regularly with Jeremy through the aftermath of my loss, and he simply listened, giving me space to grieve. After some time, Jeremy invited me to climb a perilous precipice near campus. On the narrow platform at the top, Jeremy offered me a lifetime of friendship, saying, if you ever need a place to stay, you can stay with me. If you ever need money, you have my bank account. If you ever need time, my time is yours. Jacob said, I was stunned. In truth, I felt unworthy of this level of friendship. And so I initially declined the gift. Later, I rescinded and accepted this offer. Reflecting later on now more than 20 years of brotherhood that still includes regular times of meeting, I look back at that commitment as the first tangible sign of unconditional love that I had experienced in many years. It was a beam of light breaking through into my despair of loss that ultimately led me to pursue the source of that light and love in God. So when friends commit, that friendship, as is true for Jacob and Jeremy, can last a long, long time. As I've shared with some of you, I've got a commitment to a weekly Zoom call with a friend where we catch up on our lives, share what's on our hearts, we talk about struggles and temptations we're facing, enter into a time of mutual confession. It sounds heavy, but it really is. It's life-giving. And I've noticed in the rules of life that are featured in the back of God and my everything, the examples, some of which come from this community, that the people say things like, as part of my rule of life, I'm going to call my mother once a week or connect with this friend weekly or, or bi-weekly. People work it into their rhythm, their, their commitments to, to, to people. It's a, it's, a, it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. I've also mentioned that over the last couple of weeks that I have created this rule of life worksheet that lists various spiritual practices, including spiritual friendship, care for the body, prayer, silent Sabbath, service, and other things, and a frequency at which you might consider practicing these, whether it's daily, weekly, monthly, annually. You can pick up copies of the worksheet at the book table in the foyer or the upper East Hall after, after the service. And if you're watching online, you can go to, or if you prefer to download from the internet, you can go to 10th.ca forward slash rule of life. That's 10th ca forward slash rule of life, all one word. So a friend commits. A friend also cares. Uh, during our Advent series in December, my colleague Ashling, our pastor of family life, described how Ruth and Naomi, daughter-in-law and mother-in-law, gave to each other, sacrificed for each other as friends. They supported each other. In our Resilient Faith series, Craig Greenfield visited us from Cambodia via Australia or New Zealand, and he talked about how David and Jonathan 
committed to each other as friends and upheld each other during a very difficult time in their lives, especially David's life. Jesus, on the night before he went to the cross, gathered with some of his closest friends, his disciples, and he said, a new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another as I have loved you. Jesus was teaching us to love each other as we've been loved by him. And that can become the basis of friendship. You can be virtually any age to offer this kind of friendship. And Frank, remarkably, as a 13-year-old, wrote in her diary as a Jewish girl hiding from Nazi persecutors in Holland these words. Remember, she's 13 years old. Anne Frank is when she writes this. You can always, always give something, even if it's only kindness. You may think, I don't have anything to give. You can give kindness, which is a form of friendship. Through reaching out, through writing a note, through listening, through offering some kind of service, you can always, always offer kindness, even if you're 13 years old or younger or older, as the case may be. So a friend is someone who commits. A friend is someone who cares. A friend is also someone who is candid. Also on the night before Jesus went to the cross, he gathered with those friends of his, disciples, and he said this. I guess I sort of preempted what I was about to say, or the quote. He said, I no longer call you servants. Because the servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends because everything I have learned from my father, I have made known to you. So Jesus is saying, I am disclosing what's on my heart to you, what I've learned from my father, because I regard you as friends. And a friend will share transparently with another friend what's, what's on their heart and soul. Do you know the name Jim Houston? Dr. Houston He's one of the founders of a theological college on the campus of UBC called Regent. He recently turned 100. Pretty amazing, and he's doing well. Jim Houston has said, the basis of friendship is shared weakness. The willingness to be vulnerable with another. A lot of wisdom in that. And that's probably part of the reason why he's done so well for so long. At our evening service, which meets here at 6 p.m., my colleague Laura has asked some people to share from their personal experience about their rule of life. And tonight we're going to have someone named Andrew Zoe share on this theme of friendship. And I asked Andrew if he would feel comfortable recording on video what he would share and, and, and sharing that with some of the other communities across our, our, our 10th broader community. And so um, here's, here's a piece from Andrew Zoe as he reflects on his friendships. Last year was, uh, yes, a lot of fun. Uh, many different fun things I haven't done in a while due to the pandemic that I could do. Um, but if I were honest with myself, it also was uh, very difficult because a lot of changes in life and in work. The most difficult part is probably I developed this deep fear of being a single person who is uh, almost in his mid 30s. When I see my friends who have gotten engaged recently or married, it would make me wonder if I could ever find someone. 
when dates or relationships don't work out, I would wonder the same thing. Holidays also became quite difficult because holidays are time um, celebrating with your family. Um, well, I do have my immediate family, but then I do recognize that I don't have my own family. At first, I think I was trying to shut down a lot of my emotions, um, trying to bottle it up um, and not deal with it. But then I think it just was quite overwhelming. So um, I was hanging out with these two buddies of mine from small group one time, and I decided to tell them quite openly about what was going on and ask them for prayer. If I were being honest, it felt at first very scary. Usually I like to share something about singleness with humor because it is very embarrassing. Um, or sometimes I would like to share these struggles when their emotion or the, the feelings have passed. So I've moved on already and then I would tell them. Um, but then this time I decided I was going to tell them right at that moment when it was all kind of happening. They reacted very well. Um, they, they listened. They were not dismissive. I think most importantly, they didn't offer any advice. They didn't try to fix me, uh, which I really appreciated. So sometimes when I'm, when, I, when I'm having these fears or these anxieties again, or when I'm feeling sad, I would uh, reach out to them and they would, they would drop by my place and we would just talk. We don't, we don't pray every time when we meet, um, um, but I do really sense God's presence and Him comforting me through my friends' words and just their presence. When I hang out with my buddies, it's not always uh, always so happy, always so fun. There's always a hint of sadness, um, but it is still a big highlight from last year because I have friends that um, is there for me. Um, I also really do feel like when I need God the most, He appears in the form of my friends who can listen to me, who can be there present with me, uh, and who can also encourage me. Andrew says, when I feel like I need God the most, God appears to me in the form of my friends. It's beautiful. I really appreciate Andrew's uh, courageous sharing. Uh, you've got to be strong in order to be able to reveal your weakness. Brene Brown, a social science researcher, says that uh, vulnerability is the first thing I want to see in you. It's the last thing I want you to see in me. And so it takes, it takes strength and groundedness to be able to reveal your vulnerability to someone else. And you do it, obviously, with someone you trust, but that can become the basis of a deep and mutually transformative and uplifting friendship. Uh, by the way, Andrew is in a small group, and so that gives them a regular opportunity to, to connect with, with these guys and to, um, for them to encourage each other. Dr. Arthur Brooks is a professor and an author, and he points out that friendship is a skill that requires time and practice. And for some of us, being transparent like myself 
doesn't come naturally, but it's a muscle that we can exercise through practice. Sometimes being candid means that we challenge each other because someone in the friendship is under committing to something important or over committing to something not important or is on a path that may lead to destruction and we need to be straightforward and candid. And if that's difficult, we can exercise that muscle of candor. A friend, a true friend, is someone who commits, is someone who cares, is someone who is candid. Now, briefly, let me talk about how we can enter into these kinds of friendships. One way is to pray. Most of us have probably prayed for a romantic relationship. Even if you're not sure that you believe in God at all or you're an atheist, I bet there's been a time in your life before you were about to ask someone out on a really important date, you prayed, you prayed, let them say yes, let them say yes. I certainly did that before I believed in God. You've probably prayed for that kind of relationship. Have you prayed for a spiritual friendship? Someone who can help you go deep with God and in life and, and vice versa. So pray. Second, initiate. Jesus initiated friendships. He prayed for friendships. I was on a rule of life panel during the pandemic uh, on a Zoom platform. And one of the fellow panelists said, initiate connections with other people. Initiate, initiate, initiate. And do it even if you're always the one who's initiating. Boy, some wisdom and courage reflected in, in those words. Initiate. A year ago last fall, we went through the book of Ecclesiastes, and I cited a palliative care nurse who said, one of the biggest and most common regrets of my patients was that they had let golden friendships slip away across the years. By making friendships, relationships, part of our rhythm and rule of life, we can avoid or at least reduce that regret. So pray, initiate, and then finally, become a friend. Become a friend. One of my mentors says, if you become the kind of friend your heart longs for, you will have all the friends your heart needs. Generally speaking, that's true. It's not absolutely always the case, but generally speaking, it's true. In the book of Proverbs, we're told that a generous person has many friends. And generosity in that context doesn't just mean generosity with money, but generosity with time, attention, care, and love. Become the kind of friend your heart longs for, and you'll have all the friends your heart needs. Let me ask you this question. Don't answer it out loud, but if you weren't you, would you want to be friends with you? And if the answer is no, how, with God's help, could you bridge that gap so you would want to be friends with you if you weren't you? Become the kind of friend your heart longs for with God's help. And part of the way we become that kind of friend is by turning to the ultimate friend, engaging this ultimate friend through our rhythm of life and receiving this friendship where he utterly commits to us and cares for us to the nth degree by laying down his life on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins so that we might be in relationship with him, with God, with the friend who is so candid with us, so open, so transparent. And as we receive the gift of that perfect friendship, we can offer the gift of friendship to others. And as we do that, we will find our roots are intertwining. And we are growing deeper in relationship with God, 
experiencing a richer life and that we are growing up, up, up as a strong and magnificent being like a redwood, like a majestic redwood. Let's pray together. Perhaps the Holy Spirit would invite you in this moment to pray for a friendship, a relationship, or to maybe invite you to deepen an existing friendship or relationship. Take a moment to talk to God in prayer about friendship. Maybe it's about becoming a friend, a certain kind of friend. And for some of you, it might mean stepping away from a toxic relationship so that you have more space for a mutually life-giving one. It's going to take some courage, some capacity to differentiate, but that may be exactly what God is calling you to. And so as you express your heart to God, may you receive the gift, the gifts of friendship and know God's joy, God's shalom, which means his peace and his wellness. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.